It was funny, Larissa said, I feel like I'm on Oprah, and I guess that would make me Oprah. I don't know how I feel about that, so it's kind of weird. Uh, it's great to have you guys with us today. Um, you know, I know a lot of the people in this room realize this, but um, they might not have before this, but when they saw, a lot of people saw the video, and they don't realize that you guys are local, that this, this is your hometown, you know, you, uh, Ian, uh, you guys went to IUP, and you're, you know, this is, this is home for you. And, Ian grew up at, uh, I was about to call it uh, Sovereign Grace, but it's Saving Grace. So, um, but this is home for you guys. So, um, does it, is it weird? Do you ever run into people in town that don't realize you're local and seen your videos and things like that? Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's happened so much locally, but in certain situations, we end up feeling like celebrities kind of. Because yeah. like the Christian world in some ways can feel really small in the U.S., like in a yeah. good way. Um, and we were just, we were at a wedding in Virginia and one of the people working at the venue came up to us. He was like, this is going to sound really weird, but is there a video of you on the internet? <laughs> like, yes. So it does happen some locally, but yeah, not at home also, which is weird. Now, um, I knew you had millions of views on the video, but I asked Larissa, while the video was rolling, I said, how, how, often, how many times have you seen this video? And she said, of the 10 million views, probably 8 million of them have been viewed by us. But uh, your video's been viewed over 10 million times. And like, just put that in perspective, that's pretty crazy that that many people have heard your story and been impacted by, you know, by your marriage and your relationship. That's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, Tupac, what do you think? It's crazy. Yeah. Ian said it's crazy. Um, yeah, we, when we first did the video, we did it with Desiring God Ministries, which is John Piper's ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, they didn't really, I mean, none of us really had any expectations. And then we started watching the stats. Like the first day, the team started emailing us, and they're like, you're not going to believe how many views. It already had like thousands of views in the first day. And we were all just kind of watching it like, do Ian, anytime we talk about it, Ian would be like, do people not have anything better to do than watch our video? Because <laughs> um, it just, I don't know, it was totally surprising and then um when we were working on our book release they were putting like the press release together and we were proofing it and the um publishers had put in there you know it's been seen over 10 million times and emailed them back and i was like so everything on this looks great except that's definitely a typo right because we don't have access to the stats or anything Mm -hmm. and um they said no you know one the update video within like three weeks had over four million views wow so it's just um I think ever since Ian's accident, and a lot of you we know, like, were involved in our lives then, and it's just been clear that it's not been about us, yeah. because for whatever reason, God has always kept people engaged in our story, and following Ian's blog, and praying for him, even from the very beginning of the accident, and so in some ways, it's, like, not that surprising, because mm-hmm. God's always shown us that it's a lot bigger than us, and it for whatever reason, he's kept Ian on people's hearts. Why do you think the story has resonated with people so well? The human interest of it? Yes. I yeah. think, yeah, and we've talked a lot about, like, I think part of the reason it went, quote, unquote, viral was because it's, I think it's a story that ends up making you feel good. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's what, like, we can get through things or we can, like, God does help us through things. And I think sometimes that's a nice break on the internet from (laughs) 
a lot of other stuff. From people twerking circulates. or, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice change. Or, you know, it's a little exactly. more interesting than Taylor Swift, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. Um, okay, um, with all the notoriety you guys have had, it has not all been positive. You guys have had um, a lot of people that have been really critical or hateful, and um, not not even in a passive way, but they've been very direct and and hateful with you guys in some in some very personal ways. How have you guys responded to that, or how do you navigate through some of that criticism, some of the hurtful things, some of the painful things people say to you? Ignore it kindly. Yeah. <laughs> Ian's, that's a lot easier for Ian than for me. Yeah. Um, I think, like, the first couple times we came across it, and we have to remind ourselves that people will say anything on the Internet. Yeah. We've rarely had said things to us, like, face-to-face. And when we have, I think it's just people not necessarily understanding how we might interpret their comments. Mm-hmm. Um, it's We've never had, like, you know, real hateful things said to us directly. But online, people can be really mean. And there's just been several times, like, if our video picks up circulation for whatever reason, um, it always comes along with really nasty things. And um, it's always surprised me, and it actually just makes me really sad that some people live that way and live um, in their hearts. That's how they feel about people with disabilities. Um, or that's how lowly they value life. Um, but for me, like, it makes me want to shrink back and stop being so vulnerable mm-hmm. with sharing our story because, I mean, I don't know, I think we always want everybody to agree with everything we do because it's easier. Um, so to hear, like, people say nasty things about my husband, I can then start to feel like, we need to stop exposing ourselves. We need to stop being vulnerable. Um, but I know that that, like the vulnerability is how God uses our story because we have to be honest and realistic of how difficult life can be. And I think it's not like a matter of having thick skin in those moments. It's a matter of believing that like God is above this mm-hmm. and having a big view of God um, just knowing that, you know, what can man do to me? Yeah. Um, but it definitely, like, that feels like a definite cost yeah. of sharing our story. You know, the, those are the times when, <laughs> those are the times when you, you wish you were a computer hacker and you could find you know, their IP address and show up at their house and be like, so you want to say that again? Like, I will gut you like a fish, lady. Or, like, like right, take you know. all their credit card information <laughs> and go shopping. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But see, that's that's the difference. Like, I, it's funny, every time we hang out with them, um, I will walk away thinking, man, I'm the worst Christian in the world. Like, I don't even love God, because, like, you'll say things like that, okay, and I'm hilarious. like, and, and, well, you'll say things like that, and I'll think, I want to punch somebody in the face, right? Like, and so you're like, well, God's bigger than that. I'm like, golly, I'm terrible, so. Well, you've never seen me, like, when I first stumble across something. <laughs> it's not, my immediate response is not like, God is so good. <laughs> my immediate response is just like start bawling, being like, I hate humanity. They're yeah. so mean. Yeah. So there's definitely a, a process. Well, for those, uh, we saw a glimpse of your story in the video. Um, if you don't mind, walk us through, walk us through September 30th, 2006 a little bit. What was that day like for you? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ian was on his way to work 
at a house in Pittsburgh. He was working for his dad's company. And I was at a bridal shower uh, for one of my girlfriends. And we got a call um, from Ian's dad. He called Ian's mom to say that Ian had been in an accident. He got a call from the social worker and that we needed to go to the hospital right away because Ian was in surgery. But we didn't know um, what type of accident. Like, we didn't know if it was a car or after he got to work, something happened. So we drove to Pittsburgh, and I was praying the whole time that it wouldn't be his brain, and I didn't know it, but Mary was also praying that, Ian's mom. And then we got to um, Oakland to the hospital and met the social worker and found out that it was his brain and he was in emergency brain surgery and that he'd been um, on an accident on 422. And from there, we just waited, and lots of friends came, family came from Philadelphia, my family came, and we were just kind of waiting while Ian, you were in surgery. And then it was some point, like in the morning, that Ian's parents and I got to go back and see you for the first time. And I mean, the next couple of days are just, I mean, it's all pretty much a blur, but for several days, um, we think it was maybe like the third day after the accident, um, the neurosurgeon came in and told us that Ian was failing four out of five brain activity tests. And that's when we had to like put the wheels in motion to contact the funeral home. And um, they gave us the decision to keep Ian on life support or remove him. Um, so we, you know, kind of met as a family and had to talk through those things, which is not fun. Yeah, how, how difficult was that conversation for you guys to have? I mean, especially as Christians, because you want to have that faith to believe mm-hmm. that God can do the incredible and the impossible, but you got doctors saying, hey, listen, there's not much hope. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like for you guys as you were talking through that? Well, and I can only speak for myself. Um, it was kind of like, you know, you have you believe that like God could do the miraculous, but you don't necessarily, you still have to like make decisions if that doesn't happen. And so as a family, we needed to be thinking like, okay, we need to have faith and pray that, you know, God heals Ian, but we need to deal with the reality that he might not and make those decisions. Um, I remember when we were back in the room with Ian's parents and um, his three brothers, we were just kind of talking about like what we would want the service to be like. And, um, you know, I remember Ian's mom saying we want it to be, we want to laugh at his funeral and mm-hmm. show some of his old videos. And um, one of his brothers who was, I think maybe 15 or 16 at the time, just kind of broke in and was like, he's not dead yet. And it was just like such a picture to me of what that balance is between like Ian was still alive, but we had to be making decisions in case Ian, you didn't live. And just that reality of like having to live in that limbo kind of. Yeah. Now you you said on the way to the hospital, you're praying, don't let it be a brain injury. What, and and really uh, at that time, you were still pretty young Christian uh, in your faith and your walk. What, what did that look like when you realized it is a brain injury and not only is it a brain injury, it's, it's really significant, it's really severe. How did, what, would, what did your faith in God look like at that moment? Like what were some of the things you were praying or what were some of the things you were asking God? I think um, it was one of those times where, I think it says this in the Bible somewhere, Mel, you can correct me later if not, but like what you have to, we were really being carried in other people's prayers and other people's mm-hmm. faith. And I know that, 
just trying to process through it when realizing when we realized it was a brain injury and that Ian, at one point the doctor told us you were failing four out of five brain activity tests. So we knew that, you know, it wasn't like he was just gonna wake up and be totally fine. Um, I think when you're the person in the situation, you have to somehow find the balance of faith and the reality that you might have to make some decisions. Yeah. Like we had to contact the funeral home and decide, you know, we started talking about what we wanted Ian's service to be like. And other people in our life didn't have to do that. And so I think that people who um, were kind of coming along beside us, I think they had the faith to be able to pray for like the big things. Yeah. And not that we couldn't, but we had to be making decisions about surgeries and whether or not to keep him on life support. And so there was that very like weird mix of yeah. we have faith that God could do the miraculous, but at the same time, like we have to be making decisions right now. I know a lot of people that, are, that walk through difficult circumstances, and a lot of people in this room don't relate to your situation. But a lot of times when we walk through difficult circumstances, uh, those of us that have been in church a while feel guilty about not having more faith. Does that make sense? Like you think, I know I should have faith in God, but here's where I'm at. And I mean, did that ever cross your mind? Did you ever kind of struggle with that kind of, hey, we're walking through this as best we can, but I just, I don't know if, if God can do this or if this is too big for God. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's like Ian, I thought a lot how before Ian kind of, I'll say, had your words. Um, Ian couldn't talk for about two and a half years after the accident. His dad, um, he'd been a pastor for a long time, and so his dad was really, really helped guide me through that in the sense of I, I didn't know, I didn't know what joy looked like. I didn't really know what suffering looked like. I didn't really know what faith looked like. And I remember like, when I was in church younger, whenever we would pray songs about like faith, I remember thinking like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, mm -hmm. and I would feel like, okay, I wanna have faith in God, but like, I couldn't even really categorize in my head what that looked like. Yeah. And so I think that like the nature of being really young in the Lord and being like surrounded by Ian's parents, um, they had me come live with them after the accident while Ian was in the hospital. And so I got to watch their response and they had been walking with the Lord for many, many years and everything about their life had changed and they still had four kids at home. Ian's sister was only two at the time. And so they had to walk through this in faith. And yeah. I, I think I absorbed so much from watching them. And I definitely had times of like, especially not understanding what joy meant I didn't know the difference between joy and happiness. And yeah. that was something that Steve really helped me with of like, I felt like as a Christian, I needed to outwardly be responding a certain way. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't feel like I could like function socially or felt like I had to really understand like what grief looks like lined up against joy and that that yeah. like happiness is different. Yeah. Um, so in the book you talk about, uh, and. You guys had been on a course to get married. Um, you know, you, you were both thinking that direction. You know, you're serious enough in your relationship. Um, and then the accident happened, and, and you guys had decided, hey, if, if he gets to the point that he can communicate, and then that's something we will look at. Um, but in the days leading up to that, I know there had to be a lot of, uh, a lot of 
Oh, internal struggle about what is our future going to look like? Because, you know, something I tell people all the time is that our greatest disappointments are directly related to our expectations. We have one set of expectations and then life happens and we go, well, wait a second. Now, you know, that's not going to be met. So how did, how did, what did that all look like for you guys um, as, as you were, you know, the years between the accident and the time you actually got married? said lots of faith I just kind of asked Ian like what it took to like step into that knowing he'd be a disabled husband you said yeah. lots of faith yeah. and like what about God like what what did you have to believe about God in order to do that he's good that he's good yeah. <laughs> um I I think even though I'd by the time we got married, it had been four years after Ian's accident. So I knew, like, to a certain extent, the reality of how different our marriage would be. But like you said about expectations, um, like expectations can kill your relationships. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a time of, like, grieving, especially after we got married. Because, you know, your whole life you have, like, expectations of what your marriage is going to look like. And... Um, I think even culturally we can build this like fake um, or unrealistic view of even like newlywed life Mm -hmm. and probably a lot of people who've been married a long time would say the first year a lot of people say that was like the worst year Um, but we don't always go into marriage expecting that and so I I had expectations and um, that I knew that Ian you couldn't fulfill but there was just still like, there was grieving of like, okay, this is what our life is gonna look like. And these are the things my husband can't do. And so it was just a matter of like needing to realize those things and grieve through them and then get to the point. And still like, I think it's an ongoing process of learning like, this is the reality that we live in. Yeah. Um, but, and Ian, hopefully you'd agree with this. Like I would so much rather be married to Ian than dating. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, or my my parents are here, and I remember a mom saying, shortly after we got married, that um, I was a lot happier after we got married. And I remember thinking, that like it's just so true. Yeah. Um, God does something really special in marriage that we didn't have in dating. So I'm glad we got married. Are you? Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good half asleep answer. If, if if he would have been like. I would be like, you know what? Let's hold off, right? I need to visit with these guys. Mel, did I mention we actually have an appointment, like now? <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, one of the things you said in the book that I thought was really interesting, uh, in regards to you guys getting ready for marriage or, or just prior to marriage, uh, you said I wanted to marry Ian, yet I also wanted to keep waiting because stalling out of fear was more comfortable than jumping in with faith. And that's how wow, I wrote that sentence. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> that was your ghostwriter. Somebody else awesome. wrote that. Uh, but, I mean, it, when I read that, I just thought, what, how incredibly vulnerable that is, because most of us won't make statements like that. We, we try to act like we got all of our junk together and everything. But I think uh, the thing that struck me was is so real and so just kind of raw, and this is where I was at the time. Um, and how did, you, how did you reconcile that? And I know Ian said, you know, faith, but how did you reconcile that with the fact of, hey, this is what I feel like God is calling me to do, but it's still scary to do what God's calling me to do? Um. I don't, like, I don't know that there's a story in the Bible where it's, you don't, you step into something with faith that you're like, oh, this is a breeze. 
like in some ways making hard decisions for me has felt like confirmation that I'm doing something in faith because it like our life shouldn't be comfortable and we shouldn't be seeking comfort and not that like our marriage is uncomfortable in like a spiritual sense but it's uncomfortable like Ian your life is uncomfortable just what he has to face every day to get out of bed yeah um and I don't like I want to be I want to work so hard here that I'm exhausted when I get to heaven and so when <laughs> we were thinking about like with marriage I didn't want my life to be apart from Ian and I didn't want to like just choose ease because mm-hmm. like what would that profit like that would really only be profiting me in a way that I thought you know if I'm gonna have like a comfortable life when really we're not called to have comfortable lives yeah. and so I think just having that perspective is what's had to we've had to keep in mind even for sharing our story and like when people say nasty things and yeah. um I think like that's like holy ground when we can enter into something like kind of trembling, but mm-hmm. knowing that God's going to, knowing that God's called us to it. Yeah. And clearly our life is uncomfortable because I don't even think Ian's awake yet. <laughs> we can't hide anything from anyone. There's no faking it with Ian, right? What you see is what you get. Long, uncaffeinated pause. What you see is what you get. That's true. If you are uncomfortable with um, silence, then, you know, sitting with the Murphys and talking to them, you, you get some of that. Because Ian, it's always worth the wait, though, because one of the things I've said before in here that uh, sarcasm is my spiritual gift, and um, and I think <laughs> I think Ian and I share spiritual gifts because he's about the, one of the snarkiest guys I've ever been around. So, well done, Ian. Um so the series we're in right now is called Redemptive Love, and, um, and so I guess my question for you guys today is, um, yeah, well, and a lot of people would look at your story and go, wow, she did a great thing. Like, she took pity on this guy, and, but the truth is, uh, it's not a one-way street. It's not that you're just taking care of Ian or loving him and that kind of thing, but it really is, it's, it's, um, it's mutual. You know, he takes care of you. And so in regards to loving people redemptively, what does it look like in your marriage for you to love Ian redemptively and for him to love you redemptively? Does that make sense? I'm going to go first. Um, Well, we just did an interview, and the person who was interviewing us, I forget the word she used, but it was something, she was basically saying how, you know, when some people read our story, they think, like, well, there's no way that that's actually, like, a romantic marriage, or there's no way that, like, that love is reciprocated. And my response to that was, well, that, you could only think that if you've never spent time with us. Mm And, I mean, the internet doesn't let you spend time with people, which is actually a very good thing. And there's only so much, you know, that we could communicate through a book. But um, I think for, like, anybody that knows us, like, Ian, you always want to be with me. 
And I think that's one of the greatest ways that Ian loves me is like, when you think about somebody who always chooses to be with you is such a gift. And it's never like, somehow, like I get sick of myself and Ian doesn't get sick of me. Like, I don't even understand your capacity for me, Ian. Maybe it's because you don't have a very good memory that probably helps so you can remember how annoying I am. Works in my favor. Um, you have a thought coming? Yes. What? Yes, is your thought yes. that you that it's your memory or yeah. that you just love me that much? Yeah. Say it's because you love me that much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a combination of both. Um, but I think like Ian, Ian, your heart. Like I think if you look at our life, you think, "Wow, Larissa has to do everything," and it's true to a certain extent. But I think what matters to the Lord is our heart. And Ian's heart is to help me, and we have conversations a lot about, like, what it's like for him that he can't do things that he'd want to do, and he always, like, Ian, you always help me spiritually and emotionally, and um, that's, that's how Ian loves me. Like, I would, you know, I'll do dishes for the rest of my life if I have to. I'd rather that than have, you know, Ian not care for my heart. Can yeah. um, I add anything to that? I don't actually want to do dishes. I'd actually like to have a dishwasher, <laughs> but it's fine. Uh, let me ask you this. And, uh, the other night we were talking, um, you know, when you guys were up at the house, and one of the things you said that I loved was you were talking about um, how, uh, you know, we were talking about Ian's memory. And, uh, of course, me, I took it, came from the angle of, wow, what a kind of a detriment it is that he, his memory is like it is, that he has a hard time remembering things. And if you don't mind, just share with me kind of what you shared that evening about how you see it and how you've kind of walked, na navigated that. Well, Ian, you always say it feels debilitating to, ha to not have a memory. And that's something that, like, I want to know more what that's like for Ian to live without a memory. I mean, you think about how much of your life is built on your memories. So Ian has long-term memory, but short-term memory isn't that great. And I remember one of the times it made me so sad was we lived, we had a rental house after we got married. I think we lived there for maybe two or two and a half years. And I have like the best memories from there. And when we moved out, I realized Ian wasn't gonna remember that time. And that there was so much sadness just knowing how much fun we had there and to think like he's not gonna remember that. So there's definitely like knowing God and doesn't erase sadness. And so yeah. even though, you know, Ian, you still know who God is um, and we're okay, it's still sad to live without a memory. Yeah. But um, something it's really taught me <clears throat> is it's such a picture to me of God's definition of forgiveness because if we're having a conflict, which is me usually just like being annoyed at Ian for something, I don't even know the last time you've gotten mad at me, Ian. Um, and usually my anger comes from Ian's disability. Um, so I'll get really frustrated about something. Like when Ian says he forgives me, I know that in half an hour, he's literally not going to remember that conversation. And so it literally is forgiven. And that's how I'm called to live. Like when I forgive someone, it should be erased from my memory. Mm -hmm. And I can't. I shouldn't be calling it to mind again. I shouldn't be, um, you know, holding it against that person. When I say I forgive someone, I need to, that needs to be true and it needs to be forgotten. 
And so part of it too is I know like if we don't resolve something right then, if I'm harboring it in my heart, when we talk about it again, I'm gonna have to like rehash everything and I don't mm -hmm. want to. <laughs> so it kind of forces me to like ask forgiveness right then too, yeah. because I'm too lazy to like go back through it. <laughs> and then plus, I don't know, once you like, once you go back and like think about things you're upset about, sometimes you realize how stupid they are. Mm -hmm. So it kind of forces us, it teaches me about forgiveness and what it means, but it also forces me to be like, okay, I just need to like deal with this now because yeah. it's not worth like going back to it and yeah. reliving all of it. Yeah, when you shared that story with me, I just thought, wow, what an incredibly beautiful picture of God's forgiveness and love for us that, you know, we, we, sometimes we remind God of how big a failure we are, what we've done, but he just has totally forgotten it. And, uh, and so I love that story. Um, out in the lobby, Ian and Larissa have a couple of tables set up. One, uh, they're going to be selling their book and we would love for you following service day, stop by there and grab a book. If you haven't picked one up, please stop by there and pick it up. Uh, they're going to be signing books and they'd love to meet you and say hi. And also, um, they've got some paintings that are out there. And Larissa, why don't you tell us about the paintings? Um, Ian started painting with one of our friends a couple years ago, and um, at the point we were in a situation with therapy where his insurance was tapping out fairly early on in the year, and so there's just one night I was like, Ian, I bet people would buy your paintings, and that's how we could pay for your therapy, and since then, any time we've had a therapy bill, almost the exact amount is in his PayPal account mm. from selling the paintings, so it's been like just such a picture of community because the therapy specifically has been to help Ian to walk. And we've had a goal of Ian walking by the time we're 30, which terrifying, terrifyingly is really soon. Ian turns 30 in April. I turn 30 in March. and It's kind of traumatic for <laughs> non-brain injury reasons. It just means I'm not in my 20s anymore. Yeah, and, and 30 is so old. I don't know how you're going to survive I mean, that. Everybody in this room that's 30 probably is agreeing. It's really old. <laughs> um... No, I've heard 30s are the best years. We'll see. But anyway, Ian was able to, a couple weeks ago, he walked across the room by himself for the first time. And it's been, yay! Um, so it's just such a cool picture of community of like, there are people all over the world buying paintings and it's like, it's not about walking. Yeah. Like we know that God is using Ian's body to show lots of things to the world, and so one way that he's providing for us is through paintings and that yeah. other people can be involved in, so. Well, they have paintings available in the lobby if you'd like to, to purchase one or, or 10, uh, feel free. And also, um, on their blog, um, it's just prayforian.com, is that correct? Actually, that's the old one. Well, you could probably still get there. Okay. Um, ianandlarissa.com. Oh, Ian and Larissa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're still, you're not the headliner, but you're still, you're right up there now. Yeah. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people that are already using that domain. Oh, really? I'm just kidding. <laughs> such a weird name. And Ian too. <laughs> uh, the, the, all the, uh, the paintings are available on the website as well, so you can go to their website, uh, learn more about their story there. We'd love for you to do that. This is what's going to happen now. Um, these guys are going to be dismissed to head out to the lobby and get ahead of you and get out there and get situated. So if you would, would you do me a favor and let's give them a round of applause and just tell them how much we appreciate them. Thank you. Thank you, Larissa. Love you. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having us. Love you, Ian.
as they are making their way out. You can be seated. Um, you know, as we think about how to tie up a day like today, um, there's not really much more I need to say because, man, their story is so incredible. But what an incredible picture of God's love for us that this is. You know, um, we see in Scripture that, that marriage is not just about a man and a woman, but marriage is about being a representation of what God's love and what God's relationship to the church should be to the world. And so people can get a glimpse, non-believers can get a glimpse of the way God loves us through healthy marriages. And, and I love the glimpse that we get of God's love for us through this. Um, because, you know, in our marriage vows, we say for better, for worse, right? And we hope for the better, but, you know, sometimes the worse happens. And the truth is, um, God's love for us is not when we're at our best, it's when we're at our worst. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is in Romans, and it says, uh, God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we were at our very worst, when we had nothing to offer or give, God loved us. And that is a picture of redemptive love. And, and so today, you know, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're here and you don't, you, you don't relate to their story at all because you're like, if you're anything like me, I, I feel like I got problems. And then I'll have a conversation with them and I'll go, I, I, got, I got no problems. Like my life is good, right? Uh, so maybe you look at their story and go, man, I don't, I don't have problems compared to that. But the truth is, all of us can relate to having days where we feel like giving up. All of us relate to having days where we feel like, God, can I do what you're calling me to do? I know you're calling me to do this and I'm scared. Um, God, do you even really love me? Do you even really care for me? Like we have moments like that where we've prayed a prayer and God didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted. And we're thinking, God, where are you? And I think all of us can relate to that moment. And so the truth is, if you're here today and you're disappointed, maybe you are dealing with a difficult marriage. Maybe it doesn't look like Ian and Larissa's, but you're still here and you're struggling. Maybe you're here today and, and God didn't answer your prayer the way you thought you, he should. And you're disappointed, whatever the case is, I want you to know that God loves you and he doesn't just love you, he loves you redemptively. He loves you so much, he's gonna buy you out of the slavery of your sin, buy you out of the slavery of your thought processes, whatever the case might be. And you don't have to fix yourself for him to love you, he loves you exactly like you are right now. So this is what I would like to do, I'd like everybody in the room just to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what, I don't know God, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to. And I wanna get some things right with him today. Maybe you recognize even just through their story that, that you're not really serving God, but you want to. You wanna be in a relationship with God. You wanna know his redemptive love for you. If that's you, would you just put your hand up in the air? Let me pray for you. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you wherever you're at. Would you say, that's me, pray for me. you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I think I'm, I'm going to heaven. I've got a relationship with Christ. Man, I really struggle in loving people redemptively. I, I really struggle loving people. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's somebody you're married to, but I, I really struggle loving people the way that God loves me, the way that I saw displayed on that stage today, and I want to love that way. If that's you, would you just say, I need God's help loving people redemptively? Thank you. Yeah, a bunch of hands. Let me pray over you right now. Father, thank you so much that you love us with a crazy love that we can't even begin to imagine or understand. My God, I pray that your love for humanity would flow through us, that every person in this place that raised their hand and said they need your help today, I pray that you would empower them to love redemptively. Lord, I pray that we would be moved by your spirit, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when we don't feel like it. 
Even when it's not the easy thing, God, let us love people really well the, the, the way that you love them. God, I pray that we would hold nothing back from people in the same way you hold nothing back from us. Even when it's risky, even when there's, there's um, danger involved in our lives or seeming danger, God, I pray that we would just lay it down and, and allow you to love people through us. So God, I pray for every person in this place. I pray that we would walk in your love, that we would experience it and that we would be able to share it with the people around us as well. So Lord, thank you for loving us redemptively. I pray that you be glorified through us. In your name we pray, amen. If we would, why don't we stand to our feet all over this room uh, and let's just worship God together one more time. And if you need prayer of any kind, no matter what the prayer need is, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, uh, you can fill out the prayer card in that seat back in front of you. You can drop it in on one of our offering boxes as you leave today. We're gonna pray over those needs this week as a staff. Uh, number two, if you wanna email us your prayer need at prayer at summittogether.com, let us know about your prayer need. We will agree with you in that. Or you can meet with one of our prayer team members there on either side of the stage. As we're worshiping together, come find one of us. We wanna pray with you and agree with you about your situation. So let's worship God together.